And then let's turn to Paul's letter to the Romans and chapter 2, Romans chapter 2. And we're going to look at just the uh, last two verses of that chapter, Romans 2 verse 28. So man is not a Jew if he is only one outwardly, nor is circumcision merely outward and physical. No, a man is a Jew if he is one inwardly, and circumcision is circumcision of the heart by the spirit, not by the written code. Such a man's praise is not from men, but from God. Now, just coming in at that point, you might say, well, wait a minute, what's the relevance to us? None of us was actually eager to become a Jew or, for that matter, to be circumcised. Uh, Why are we looking at that this morning? Well, it comes, obviously, at the end of a lengthy section where Paul has been explaining his enthusiasm for the good news about Jesus. That's how he begins in chapter 1, speaking about that eagerness to preach about Jesus, to declare to anyone who will listen this wonderful message that God has loved the world, sent his son, Jesus came, lived amongst us, died in our place to take the penalty for our sins, rose again, is alive now, and we can know him. That's his message. He wants everyone to know it. And so he's explaining why it is so important that people should hear this. And through chapter 1 and chapter 2, he has been explaining why everybody needs a saviour. Jesus came not just to show compassion, not just to forgive people and accept people, but to deal with the real issue. And the real issue is the fact that we have all sinned. And Paul is explaining that that is true of everyone, whatever their background, whatever they know or whatever they don't know, everyone is in exactly the same condition before God. Everyone has sinned and everyone has got guilt in their life that's got to be dealt with. Otherwise, there is eternal punishment. That's what he is explaining. And so he's talking particularly now to those who might feel, well, they are an exception to that general rule. They're religious, got a background of religion, they worship God. Surely then, it is not necessary for them to be saved. Surely they're good enough already. And that's the the issue that he's dealing with when he says a man is not a Jew if he's only one outwardly, nor is circumcision merely outward and physical. To bring it into our context, we could paraphrase it and say a person isn't a Christian if he's only one outwardly, nor is baptism merely outward and physical. Let's bring it into our context. That's how it would apply. That Christianity is not a matter of the outward and baptism is not just merely outward. It's not, otherwise it's just a matter of getting wet. What is it all about? Well, he's looking at it and saying, really radical transformation is necessary. Jewishness isn't enough. And for us, just looking like a Christian, doing Christian things is not enough. Baptism is not enough. So he deals with the negative first, and then he moves into the positive. So let's look at the negative. A man is not a Jew if he's only one outwardly, nor is circumcision merely outward and physical. Or as we've said, a Christian isn't one, uh, someone who's only one outwardly, and nor is baptism merely outward and physical. Externals has to do with appearances. 
what people see. What Paul is saying is, being one of God's people is not just a matter of appearances. It's not just a matter of what people see. That's something that Jesus was addressing continually. Because Jesus came as God's Son coming into the world, into Israel, and surrounded by religious people. Religious people who took exception to what he was saying. And Jesus could see what was really in them. If you were to look, for example, at Matthew 23... Matthew 23 and verse 5, looking at the Pharisees, the leaders of religion in Israel, he says, everything they do is done for men to see. That's it. It's all about appearances. Everything they do is done for people to see. Remember, we're translating it now into our setting. Christianity, everything they do is done for for people to see? Well, Jesus goes on, and uh, in verse uh, 25, for example, in that chapter, he says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they're full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee! Clean the inside of the dish, the cup and dish first, and then the outside also will be clean. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You're like whitewashed tombs. Look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of dead men's bones and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside, you appear to people as righteous. But on the inside, you're full of hypocrisy and wickedness. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. And so it goes on. Jesus, not trying to win friends and influence people here, is laying into this reducing belonging to God to a matter of appearances. And time and again, he calls them hypocrites. Now, of course, we're well aware, we're familiar with the word hypocrisy. We know what a hypocrite is. It's someone who professes to be something that they're not. But in, when Jesus is using the word, actually, it's a technical expression. It is the ordinary Greek word for an actor. And Greek drama was very different from drama today. An actor today gets into the role. There may be, be, be some makeup, but basically the actor is thinking that character and then they portray that character kind of from the inside. In Greek drama, it wasn't like that. Greek drama, they used a mask, be a, a stick with a face on it. You hold that in front, then you become that character. Very economical. Instead of a cast of hundreds, you just have a cast of two, each picking up different masks all the time. You become that person by just putting the face in front of you. A hypocrite, then, is an actor who puts a mask on and they're appearing to be who they are not behind the mask. And that's an accurate description of these religious people. They're wearing a mask. They're claiming to be something that they clearly are not. And so this devastating picture of being like a, a nicely white painted tomb. Beautiful on the outside, but stinking and horrible and corrupt inside. That's religion, Jesus said. That's what they are like. It's all about then appearances, what people see. Christianity is not a matter of putting on an act 
It is not role play. It's not learning the lines and acting as something. That is not what it's about. In Luke 12, again, Jesus addresses the same issue. In Luke 12, verse 1, he says, the crowds are gathering to him, and he says to his disciples, be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. There is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. What you've said in the dark will be heard in the daylight. What you've whispered in the ear in the inner rooms will be proclaimed from the roofs. What's he saying? Saying, beware of this hypocrisy because what happens in secret ultimately will be made known. There's a matter of what people see, but there's also a matter of what God sees. And what Jesus is saying is what God sees will be declared. Beware of playing a role. Christianity is not a matter of role play. It's not a matter of appearances. It's not a matter just of activities. Israel had a very distinctive lifestyle. Very distinctive. They were different from all other nations because of the things that they did. Observing the Sabbath. Tithing. Their food laws, food that was clean, food that was unclean. Very meticulous about food laws. The whole matter then of uh, festivals like tabernacles and Passover and so on. A distinctive lifestyle. Their life was governed by these activities. Christianity has also developed activities. Going to church on Sunday. Meetings, various other times during the week, giving, and so on. There can be activities that go with Christianity. For many people, commitment, that overworked word, commitment means being at meetings. So it's about it's activities. You, if you support the activities, then you are really committed. Jesus exposed the superficiality of that in very worrying words in Matthew chapter 7. Matthew 27, verse 21, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name? And in your name, drive out demons and perform many miracles. And I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. He's saying there, watch out for false prophets. They come in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. He's talking again about this appearances, and then it leads on to activities. People say, we did this, we did that. And then the truth becomes known. I never knew you. It's not just about activities. If you have thought that commitment means activities and only that, just do those things and that's commitment, you're missing the point. It's not about appearances, it's not about activities, nor is it about attitudes. Christianity has often degenerated, deteriorated into set attitudes about behavior, about dress, and so on. It's often become what is known as moralism. 
or respectability. A rigid attitude to certain things are wrong, certain things are good, but other things are wrong, and it becomes kind of unreasoned. No one explains why it's wrong. You just don't do that. You don't wear that. You don't go there. And it becomes simply a matter of a rigid attitude to what is acceptable and what is not. It's rigid, unreasoned, unsmiling, and desperately unattractive. And just to say, where Christians just sink into that, and then if their parents communicate that to their children, what you get are children growing up who are either compliant, that is to say, they comply with the rules, they develop those attitudes, they don't wear that, they don't go there, or else they come to an age where they just try to shock to wear all the wrong things, go all the wrong places, because they have seen this is hollow, this is empty, and their only way to react is to to shock. It's not about that. It's not about these external things. Appearance is what people see. Activities, things you do, or attitudes, just a, a, a prejudice about certain things. So that's the negative. So what is it? A man is not a Jew if he's only one outwardly, nor is circumcision merely outward and physical. No. A man is a Jew if he's one inwardly. Circumcision is circumcision of the heart by the spirit, not by the written code. Such a man's praise is not from men, but from God. To paraphrase it, a person is a Christian if he is one inwardly. And baptism is baptism of the heart by the Spirit, not by law. Such a person's praise is not from men, but from God. What's this saying then? It's not about all these things that are around the outside. It's, first of all, it's about the heart. Now, of course, when we say the heart, we're not suddenly sinking into something that's kind of soppy and sentimental. We're talking about the very core of your life. Incidentally, I don't know if you have read through the latest New Frontiers magazine, which I'd heartily commend to you, apart from pages 31 to 34, which you can staple together. Um, But, and incidentally, some have looked at the photos in those pages and not, I find it too painful to say actually, they have not recognized me. (laughs) I'm deeply hurt that there are those who say I'm not as young as I once was. (laughs) Anyway, ignoring that, the, the final article in that magazine by Joel Virgo, absolutely superb about a manly gospel. Because you know, when I said it's not, you know, a, a person is a Christian if it's a matter of the heart. Instantly we can think of things that are maybe slightly soppy, slightly sentimental. I love what he said about worship leaders should have more the style of Johnny Cash than Art Garfunkel. I thought that was brilliant. You know, sort of, it ain't me, babe, instead of bridge over troubled water. I, I like that. So when we say it's about the heart, 
We're not talking about just being sentimental. We're talking about the very core of who we are. We're talking about our will. We're talking about our mind. We're talking about our motivation. It's not just around the outside. It's not window dressing. It is, it's not something superficial, in other words. It's not about conforming. It's about a passionate involvement with the God of the universe. It's big. It is understanding something. It's understanding who God is. He is the one who invented earthquakes. He is the one who thought of thunder and lightning. He's the one who thought of the mountain ranges and the planets. He's the one who thought of the depths of the ocean and vast things. He's God and He is available. That's something to get passionate about. He's the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It grips your heart. A man is a Christian. A person is a Christian if he's one inwardly. It's a matter of the heart. It's what you see. Jesus had a big problem with the hypocrites. But then with his disciples, he had a big problem with half-heartedness. People who said they were going to follow him But then they thought of previous engagements. They thought of other things they had to do. And he couldn't have it. He said, if you want to be my disciple, you take up your cross, that means you you die to everything, and you follow me. You, You hate other things, and you hate your own life, he said, but you follow me. He couldn't cope with half heartedness. Why? Because he's giving his life for this. Jesus came not to be half-hearted, not to conform. He was a non-conformist. But he's giving his life for this, and where people are just flabby. Oh, well, I'll do it. You know, you heard the story of the, the young man who says to his girlfriend, I would climb the highest mountain for you. I would swim the deepest ocean for you, and I'll see you on Friday if it's not raining. You know, That can be how people are with God. They sing the big words on Sunday. And then, I can't be there for this. I can't do that because I'm doing something. I'm busy. You know, oh, come on. It's a matter of heart. Not just attendance at meetings, but what's in your heart. Have you been impressed by God? Has the fact that Jesus died on the cross, nailed to a cross, suffering God's holy anger against your sin, and he did it for you. Has that impressed you? Has it gripped you? you, Has it dawned on you? If Jesus Christ is God and died for me, then no sacrifice I can make can be too great. Make for him can be too great. Or was that effect? That was what, was it uh, C.T. Studd said, I think, or one of the great heroes. But the seeing who, who Jesus is and what is done, it, it grips my heart. Then I'll go with this. Christianity is not trying to put on an appearance, going to all the activities, Having the right attitude. No, it's your heart. It's, it's transforming. Which is why Jesus said to a good man who came to him and had 
excellent understanding, as it happens, of who Jesus was. Nicodemus said, Rabbi, we know you're a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the miraculous signs you're doing if God were not with him. Wonderful insight, wonderful understanding. Jesus cuts right across it and says, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he's born again. A total radical change where your heart is changed. You don't just get an intellectual understanding and start supporting some activities. It grips your heart. Your heart is changed. You realize God is God. I can't mess about anymore. Either he's God or he's not. I'm going for him because he's God. It's, it changes your heart. It's a matter of heart. It's tough and it's enduring. It's not just soppy and emotional. It's something that causes it, it because, because Jesus' heart was for his Father. He presses through. When it's the cross, he presses through. Those, his disciples, when, when their heart was changed, they're forbidden. Don't preach anymore in the same say, we, we can't do anything but preach. They're, they're threatened with losing their lives. They're going to press through because their heart was gripped. It's your heart for God. You're here this morning because it's Sunday. Are you here this morning because God's got your heart? Do you go to meetings because it's when they happen? Or because God has got your heart? Are you committed to the church because commitment is expected? Or is it because, no, you're committed to God? He's got your heart. And you've seen his heart for the church. And you're there. It's not just dogged, reluctant, oh, I must do this and that. That's my heart. I will press through. If it's just emotion, when things get tough, our emotions can take us the other way. When God doesn't, as it were, come up with the goods, when we get disappointed, then we say, well, I I don't think, I don't feel like coming tonight or whatever. But heart is not just emotion. Heart is something that you think has changed my will. It's changed my mind. I've been reading uh, through, while we've been away, I've been reading through the story of Job again. Wonderful, wonderful. A man who has everything thrown at him, including terrible counsel from well-meaning but misguided believers. And he, but his heart is still for God. It's as though he slay, I'll trust him. That's a guy who's not, it's not all emotion. It's his heart. It's God, God your heart. But it's, it's of the heart by the Spirit. In other words, it's God who changes our heart. We can't do it. When Jesus said that to Nicodemus about a man must be born again, he goes on to say, flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You shouldn't be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. We need to be born of the Spirit, the Spirit of God changing us. We can't manufacture this. We can't reproduce it, replicate it. The Spirit of God shows us something. The Spirit of God shows us Jesus. The Spirit of God shows us the state of our heart, shows us our sin, and shows us our Savior. And by the Spirit of God, we are changed. It's a matter not of appearances, activities, and attitudes. It's a matter of the heart by the Spirit. The Spirit works a change in us. Sometimes people who are not yet believers will hear all about the gospel and 
they are put off or are stopped in their tracks because they're thinking, I couldn't change. I couldn't live like that. I couldn't become a different person. And that stops them in their tracks. Actually, they've seen some truth. Of course you can't change. Of course you can't become a different person. None of us can. But this whole matter is the Spirit of God, the God who created everything, getting hold of your heart. And your role in it is to say yes. Say yes. Let God change your heart by His Spirit. The Spirit brings faith. Faith that's real. Faith that sometimes is ridiculous. Faith that is radical. I said earlier, parents who bring up their children just with rules will find either they get compliance children or shocking children. Children grow up in an atmosphere of faith, real faith, radical faith, ridiculous faith. That gets their heart. They're seeing the truth here. Some time back, we plugged a book that sadly then became unavailable, a a book for parents, Shepherding Your Child's Heart. So good, because it's dealing with this issue. We don't want to just teach rules, just activities and appearances, but now it's the heart by the Spirit. The Spirit brings faith. The Spirit changes our heart and brings also a humility, a humility that means we're very ready to admit fault. When Jesus is addressing the Pharisees, they kill him. They're not going to be told they're wrong. They're not going to be told that they're misguided, that they're hypocrites. They're not having that. But when the Spirit of God changes your heart, you're very ready to admit fault because There's no facade. There's no pretense. You know the truth about yourself. God's won your heart. And so you're teachable. You're correctable. You're ready to say, sorry, I'm wrong. I got it wrong. The Spirit brings interruptions to what is normal. When we're changed by God, when we're living by... It's not a matter just of these of religion, in other words. It's a matter of the heart by the Spirit. When God has changed your heart, when He's filled you with His Spirit, then there are all these kind of divine interruptions to normal life. Because the Spirit of God is there. He's your friend. He's speaking to you. He's impressing things on you. He's leading you in a direction that no one else is going. You find you're going against the flow quite often, but you're a person of faith, and you're following the Spirit. And, and it says there's such a person's praise is not from men. People say, you're silly. But it's from God. God looks for faith. God looks for people who are living by the Spirit. So you've got your heart. Do you know anything about what I'm talking about right now? Anything about these interruptions of the normal, anything about this ridiculous, real, radical faith. That's what it's about. It says not, a, man isn't a, a person isn't a Christian if he's only one outwardly. It's not a matter of the outward and the physical. 
It's not a matter of just being here on a Sunday. It's not a matter of going to the meetings. It's not a matter about having the right attitudes to things. Yeah, those things matter, but that's not what it's about. It's about your heart. It's about God changing you, transforming you, gripping you, filling you with his spirit. Now, this is what Paul is saying, and we might say, well, Paul, why are you preaching right now to the converted? You see, Paul has addressed this letter back in chapter 1, verse 7, to all in Rome who are loved by God and called saints. He is speaking here to the converted. Why then does he feel he needs to say all of this stuff? Surely they already know it. They know it's not a matter of the outward and so on. It's, it's a matter of faith. and They know all of that. Why is he speaking to the converted? Well, remember what Jesus said. We've already seen the words in Luke chapter 12, that warning he gave. The crowds are gathering, but it specifically says, he's not speaking to the crowd, he's speaking to his disciples. And he said, be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Jesus says hypocrisy is like yeast. It spreads. It encroaches. It's pervasive. It just does its work unseen and takes over, and you don't realize what's happening. It's because this spreads like yeast, surely, that Paul is saying this to people who are already believers. Why look at it this morning? Why speak to the converted about this? Well, because it creeps up on you. This externalism is something that we lapse into. Don't necessarily, we, don't, we don't choose it. See, the Pharisees that Jesus is particularly criticizing pretty savagely, they didn't start out like that. The Pharisees started out as the good guys. The Pharisees were the ones who were believing God when no one else was. The Pharisees were the ones who held to the Scriptures when other people were ignoring the Scriptures. They were the good guys. But they lapsed. They slipped into just holding on to the form, missing the substance. And it happens. It happens. There are other stories in the Scripture. Think of the most tragic story, I would say, in the Old Testament. The most tragic story is the story of Saul, King Saul. He was a young unknown. God picks him out. He's anointed. In 1 Samuel 10, you read about him being changed. He meets with a company of the prophets. The Spirit of God comes on him and he's prophesying with them. What that means in context is it says they've all got there are, say, tambourines. That's what it actually says. It's Old Testament, though. We don't have them now. They're, they've got tambourines. They're dancing. They're going down the street. This company of prophets. Saul meets them, and he becomes one of them. He's a radical, charismatic. The Spirit of God changes his heart. That's Saul. Doesn't care what anyone thinks. People look at him and say, is Saul amongst them now? Has he joined that lot? But no, he's radical. Then time goes on. And you know the story. You know how he... He just fell for the lie of appearances, status, position. 
And finally, in 1 Samuel, well, it's not finally, there's more after this, but it comes to this point in 1 Samuel 15, where Samuel says to him, 1 Samuel 15, verse uh, 9, um, well, that's where the story comes, where Samuel just disobeys. And verse 17 was the one I wanted. Samuel said, although you were once small in your own eyes, that was it. That's how you started. Small in your own eyes. Didn't you become the head of the tribes of Israel? The Lord anointed you king. He sent you on a mission. And you didn't obey. Saul is not going to be correct. He says, I did obey. And Samuel keeps at it. No, you didn't. And finally, Saul says, and it's very telling. He says, I have sinned. But please, he says, honor me before the elders of the people. Oh, Saul doesn't want to lose face. He started out not caring what anyone thought. He was radical. He was going for it. He lapses into, honor me before the elders. You and I know I've sinned, but don't let anyone else know. Then you see his daughter, who married David. When she sees David dancing with all his might before the Lord, she despises him. Her dad had been like that once, but he lapsed. And she's grown up now respectable, don't want any of that stuff. Lapse, it, it creeps up on you. The leaven of acting, hypocrisy, living behind a mask, it encroaches. You don't realize what's happened. You just realize you're becoming dulled, perhaps, respectable, not quite as zealous as you once were. Well, I've grown up now, we can say. It can be a symptom of the second generation the first generation pay a price. You know, and I, I don't want to sort of uh, start getting all nostalgic because of the good day, the, 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 the old days, unless it weren't good days. But I, when I think, for example, the price that I had to pay to see a church move from being traditional to being open to the Spirit of God meant being told by the leaders of that church that they would sack me, and because I lived in a house that belonged to the church, you'll be out of the house now. That was it. So if you go this route of open worship, people being happy, people clapping, people raising their hands, people speaking in tongues, if you go that route, we'll sack you and you'll be out of your house. Just married, we had a young child. And you pay a price. Say, no, I'm going this route. Because I'm going to follow God. And then when you hear people now, the next generation, not too sure about all this stuff and so on, you think, oh, we paid a price for this. Paid a price. But the second generation, well, it's just normal. Who cares? It's just the form now. It's just the way we do it. No, there's a price that was paid. And so, you know, I don't want to just get, start uh, thinking about it, but I think when I came here, a price was paid to see a church come through. Remember one terrible time when it was really getting tough and it looked like we were not going to see this happen. When I invited Mary and I were invited to a gathering in someone's house. As we walked in, everyone in the room turned their back on us. And we just stood there. And actually, dear Cheryl, I don't know if she's here, but she, was, she, she turned, came over and talked with us. No one else would. You think, oh, 
There's a price. Price to pay. Say, we're going through with God. The second generation can just be, who cares? Who, well, this is the way we do it. Why don't we do it a bit differently? We've had a price for this. But we lapse into just the form where it's no, matter, no longer a matter of heart. It's just, yeah, it's just appearances, activities. Oh, I'll do it if it's not raining. Oh, it's a price. Jesus paid a price for the church, gave his life for the church. It's his passion for the church. It's a matter of heart by the Spirit. It can become just our normal experience. It be the second generation, but as in our experience, a few disappointments. We went out on a limb in faith. We believed for something. We told people we were believing, and it didn't happen. Disappointment. Or distraction. Just things crowding in. We got married now. We got a home. There's so many issues. Oh, now this child's come. And oh, sleepless nights. Distracted. Bit of promotion at work. More responsibility. Involves more, more time out and so on. Oh, I haven't really got time for things now. Things we were zealous about. Now, oh, it's just a bit of a bind. We've got to do these things. Lost it. Lost it. Jesus gave his life for the church. Once we saw it clearly. Now, I haven't really got time. It's very busy. Jesus didn't say, I would go to the cross, but I'm rather busy just now. It's it's passion. It's passion. Disappointment, distraction, make us just, we just get lulled into, lapse into a dull routine, a bit boring, a bit of a pressure. What do we do about it? Paul is speaking here to the converted a man's not a Jew if he's only one outwardly, nor is circumcision merely outward and physical. A man's a Jew if he's one inwardly. Circumcision is circumcision of the heart by the spirit, not by the written code. Well, later on in this letter, he tells us what to do about it. In chapter 12, verse 11, he says, Never, the translation here, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor. Not a very good translation. What he's actually saying is, with regard to zeal, don't be lazy. But maintain the fire of the Spirit, with a capital S. With regard to zeal, don't get lazy. Now he's telling us to do something about it. If we've lapsed into just appearances, activities, attitudes, oh, if I've got time. No, come on, don't be lazy. Stir, stir yourself up and maintain the fire, the glow, the, the, the energy of the Spirit. He tells us we've got to do something about it. He's speaking to the converted because he knows it can happen. So, who are you? Where are we? Who we really are is who we will be when finally we're on our own, on our face, before God. No friends, no job, no distractions, no possessions, no position. Us alone before God. That's who we are. And then it's heart. (laughs) That's all it is then. All the other stuff stripped away. Then it's heart. What's in our heart?
God says, love the Lord your God with all your heart. Then things come out of that. Who we are is who we will be when ultimately we're before God. And all the other stuff that distracts us and occupies us and means so much to us won't be there. Just heart. Paul says, such a person's praise who is who's got this in their heart by the Spirit. Such a person's praise is not from men. People will try to distract. People will ridicule. People will criticize. But such a person's praise is from God. Ultimately, we want to be before him and have him say, oh, well done. Well done. You walked through that disappointment with me. Well done. You pressed through when there was everything that was against you. When people didn't even understand you, you pressed through. I saw you in secret, he'll say. I saw you praying when you felt no one was listening. I saw your diligence keeping into the scriptures when you thought, I'm not getting anything out of this. But he said, you pressed through. I saw that. God sees the heart What's done in secret will ultimately be made known. God sees behind the facade. Who are you? You are who God sees in your heart. We're not into role play, picking up the mask, I'm a Christian. Throw the mask away. What's in your heart? Not appearances. Not activities, not attitudes, but a heart given to a magnificent God. A heart transformed by the power of the Spirit, the Spirit of of the Savior. That's reality. This is worth living for. This changes your life. If you're here this morning and you're not yet a believer, can I just say to you, You can't just put this on. No one's asking you to pick up a mask and wear it. God can change your life from whatever it has been. If you're a child here or a teenager and you've grown up in a context where you've just seen rules, you mustn't wear that, you mustn't go there, make sure you're in on time. Oh, rules, rules, rules. You just want to blow the whole lot. Just God wants your heart. Okay, if your parents have just maybe got it wrong, Forgive them, but God hasn't got it wrong. He wants your heart. Let's respond to him this morning. We're going to sing, then afterwards there'll be an opportunity to respond.